college athletics as we knew it is over with. It is absolutely done with. We'll never be back. Um, it is now almost like a, a professional locker room in a sense. I mean, yeah, obviously guys are there to play for the team and help help the team win and things like that. But at the same time, they're there to promote themselves and help to make some money off on the side. Uh, I was always a team guy. I always will be. And so I would say that my more of my focus would probably be on the team and what we could have done uh, collectively as a group. And, yeah, obviously I would have taken any opportunity and chances that that presented itself, but as long as it didn't affect me and how I go about my business day in and day out, obviously I would have made some money here and there off T-shirts and uh, sweatshirts and jersey sales and poster sales, autographs and things like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I would have still remembered that, you know, I play for the University of Kentucky, I play for Coach Stoops, and I play for my home state. So at the end of the day, I'm still I would still be that same guy that's still fiery, you know, team oriented guy that puts his teammates first. But you know, in the off season and things like that, then yeah, I would have uh, I probably I probably would have banked in on some coin around here. Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, I have yet to get a deal from PetSmart, but Trey Knox has. Shout out to his Husky named Blue, who got himself a national ad deal on the very first day of the NIL era. We're a week into this thing, and I've got some thoughts on that. We'll get to some other stuff today. SEC East, best case scenario, interview with Cash Daniel. We talked a bunch of NIL stuff, and we've got grilling in figuring it out. But I wanted to start with this first about what do we like, what do we dislike, or maybe what do we have our eyebrows raised to when it comes to NIL stuff. I don't have my eyebrows raised to a dog getting a national ad deal, but Will, as a, as a big pet supporter, I, I'm sure you saw that initially and you said, you know what, go get yourself some money, Blue. Yeah, no facts. And hey, man, having a dog or a thick cat can be really expensive. That's a genius marketing thing because you know how much food costs. So at the end of the day, it's just a flat cost. It's like having a free pet. That's a really good point. For starters, I I like that the only the stars will make money crowd. I like that they were instantly proven wrong. Darren Ravel, you know who you are, even Danny Cannell. Just look at Knox. Arkansas wide receiver, seven catches for 70 yards last year. Struggled with his confidence. Hawk fans just want him to become a reliable number two in that offense. And probably the reason that the number one receiver on that team, the number one player on that team, Traylon Burks, didn't get the PetSmart deal. I'm not sure what kind of pets he has, but the guy who hunts hogs with a knife probably <laughs> wasn't the first call that PetSmart made. I don't know that for sure, but good for Knox. I'm, I'm happy for him. Uh, good for these guys who are cashing in at the right time. Spencer Radler, Miles Brennan, Isaiah Spiller, they got that Raising Canes partnership. Oh, well, yeah. I assume that because Canes started in Baton Rouge that you're a Canes guy. Oh, Is that dude, fair to say? That's one of the first places I go when I get back home. Slaw or no slaw? No slaw. Not, I'm very violently Amen. anti-coleslaw. Like, the one ad of Coach O just shoveling coleslaw into his face is hilarious to me, but that's the only coleslaw, <laughs> the only joy coleslaw has ever brought me. I'm a big fan as well, though I actually, ironically enough, I had canes more when I was in Nebraska than down here in Orlando. I, I don't know, weird. They got weird. canes in Nebraska? They got canes in Nebraska. Canes is everywhere, man. We've got one it, good it thing about Nebraska. Put it on the board. 
Hey, this is not an anti-Nebraska <laughs> podcast. Miles Brennan might not even start at quarterback, and he's got a national ad deal. I'm sure that it helps that it's a company that started out of Baton Rouge as well. I also, I like Isaiah Spiller a lot, but he's a college running back who's gotten a ton of work in his first two years. Get that money now. Mm-hmm. In general, I find myself liking that these kids are getting these opportunities. Or like how the entire Arkansas offensive line has a barbecue deal. That was a really, really smart move on, on their part to be able to make that happen. If you don't like those things, Perhaps it's because you have a mindset similar to the one that I used to have, that there's this entitlement here, that there are 19-year-old kids now focused on building up their social media platforms to try and cash in on that and maybe not focused on the typical on-field stuff. And we can get into the ethics of that, but this comes down to you already think that these athletes are so much better off and it's unfair that now they're going to get even more money and more opportunities coming their way. When I was in college, I had this class senior year. I don't remember the name of it, but it was something Sports Communications 201 or something like that. This class was total bogus. It was, looking back on it now, probably, I don't want to assume it was exactly like those bogus UNC classes that they got fake. You were taking A-fail? It it wasn't quite this. That's a bomb right there. let Let me explain it. So it was every Monday, Monday night for two hours, and the guest there would be a guest speaker that was related to something in the sports world who would come in. It could be a ref, it could be someone who shot sports photography, an administrator, whatever. And you basically were asked to write notes. Your entire grade is showing up and writing notes and then turning in these notes at the end of the year to the professor. And then at the end of the semester, you write one final paper. Basically, it was documenting a sports event and all the things that went into it. It was not hard at all. That sounds awesome. That actually sounds like a class I would love to attend. Yeah, very, very easy. Did not spend a whole lot of time stressing about that class. There were a few basketball players in this class, including a certain Christian Watford. On the first day of class, I realized that it was the same teacher I had two years earlier for this 100-level class. And he lays out the curriculum, which is the exact same class. It was the same class with a few different speakers. And I took this class with one of my one of my buddies, and we were there a couple you know a couple years earlier. And by the end of this first day, our senior year, he's like, I'm I'm bouncing. I'm I didn't, this isn't what I'm spending my college tuition on to be able to take the same class over and over. I took a different perspective as a senior who didn't mind having an easy A. The class was a joke. And the basketball players, they showed up a handful of times, and my professor was smitten whenever they were there. I mean, he was he was giddy when those guys would show up. And it was kind of awkward. One time he made the connection of, oh, you're the guy who covers the basketball team, and there's basketball players in this class with like 100 people. Didn't really like that he did that, but whatever. I remember, one, that was the easiest A of my high school or college career, and two, I remember thinking how unfair it was that basketball players got first pick of all their classes and they could just load up on things like this if they wanted to. And so whenever I would hear about the extra benefits that college athletes wanted, I always wanted to push back and I thought, hey, these guys have a much easier path to a degree than I do and they don't have to take on any student debt. But my perspective evolved. While there's still some entitlement in this new era and some questions that we'll get to in a minute, 
Nobody is being wronged by Bo Nix and Malachi Moore being spokesmen for Sweet Tea. Social media, as I've been saying for the last year, is going to be the vast majority of this, and it's not going to take up a ton of time on a micro level. The beauty of this is we, the consumer, we can follow whoever and whatever we want. If we think it's getting too cheesy to commercialize, we just stop following. Nobody wants more ads on the feed, but I find myself now actually seeking these things out in the first week of this thing because I wanna know who's doing what, what type of opportunities are being taken advantage of, especially when there are no universal rules just yet. I like seeing guys like Anaya Smith come out and say that they're gonna give some money back to their teammates. It's kind of mm. like that episode of The Office when Saber comes into the picture and the sales Sabre. team is running the show. Yes. <laughs> so it's Saber, you're sure it's Saber. I love that intro still. Uh, the, the sales team comes up with a plan to give a small percentage of their earnings to the rest of the office. And they have this come to Jesus meeting where they end up just giving them some cookies and eclairs and they're like, oh, so you don't need a share of our profits. I like seeing people like Grant Furking. I think it's Furking. I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. I know that. I had no idea who he was until last week. Maybe you're listening to this now. Like, who are you talking about? Tennessee receiver has been running a seven-figure ground cover installation company called Metro Straw for the past several years. Now, not only does he have teammates doing ads for his company, he's got GTF Enterprises, which works with athletes on setting up signings, appearances, engagements, and whatnot, all those things. Why? Because he wants to educate college athletes on managing opportunities and making smart financial decisions. I like the idea of increased financial literacy for college kids. I wish I had taken a class on that instead of BS sports communications class twice. Um, if kids are learning more about that six to seven years in advance about how to manage money and how taxes work and all that, that's a win. By the way, I think my least favorite person in all of this is, you know they've got to pay taxes on that, right? Oh, God. Why do those people assume that college athletes aren't going to pay their taxes? Not all of them will. I'm not saying it's going to be universal, but I could bet you a whole bunch of these athletic departments have an H&R Block person already set up. They're, they're going to take care of that. They're not going to want these kids getting audited and, and dealing with those sorts of headaches when this whole system is what's allowing that in the first place. That the the you got to pay taxes guy is like bottom tier human because that's just pocket watching. There's nothing else to that. That's and people say it with like OnlyFans girls too. It's like oh you got to pay taxes on that. It's like buddy okay. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's like uh, servers people anyone who does anything outside of the norm is just like oh don't worry about. It. It's like why are you worried about my taxes man? Like worry about your own taxes. And there's a lot of, not, I'm not trying to get political or anything like that. I would love to be the people who then say that and then turn around and say, oh, I, I want to pay less taxes. Everybody wants to pay less taxes, of course, but then it's weird that there would be an overlap in there. That's beside like, the point. But it's like, who cares? It's like you see someone benefiting for free. And it's like, it's going back to the thing about you saying like, oh, it's only going to be the top tier athletes. Anyone in retrospect, and I was even one of these people when I was younger who was thinking that this was going to be based on on-field performance. I mean, we're in a world of, you know, Jake Paul. We're in a world of if you can sell it, you can sell it, and that's it. It's a zero-sum game. Like you said, the Arkansas offensive line. And, like, I love stuff like that. And, and I'll say really quick, um, this is a fun little tidbit. Uh, remember Brian Zubek, who played for, Zook, for Duke? Yes, I do. Big seven-footer, won a national championship back in the day. If the Butler had made that shot, people would not know who he is. Just kidding. They probably still would. So Brian Zubek opened a place called Dream Puffs with a Z. That was a bakery. 
after he after he ended at Duke. That was his little baby project. He made a bakery off of kind of like his name after Duke. And that was kind of the extent of this, is that if you didn't get in while you were in college and profit off of your name and get some little foothold that you could just then go into the business world, it was over with. Your, your 15 minutes of fame was over with. And now people can build those connections and actually prepare themselves for life as opposed to just having it as an afterthought. What a couple of references you've brought so far. We're what? 11, 12 minutes into this podcast, and we've got a Brian Zubach reference and an OnlyFans reference. Yes, Will sir. All over the place. That's what I bring today. to the table, man. <laughs> what I don't like about this is people assuming the worst. People assuming that the very thing that they love on Saturdays will look so much different than what it currently looks like. And I think the vast majority of the time, it's really not going to be that different. The rules between the lines aren't changing, though we do need to fix targeting still. Um, get on that, NCAA. It's the time outside of those Saturdays that's going to feel a little different. Individual plays and viral moments will have earning potential. Last year, Marco Wilson, thrown shoe. Yep. If you've got any sort of deal, if you're a business, you've got any sort of ad deal with an LSU player, you're poking fun at that in some way on social media. Like maybe it's as simple as Derek Stingley having a Nike deal and then he does a five second video on Instagram where he chucks an Adidas shoe and then smiles with a Nike shoe. That's it. That'd be tight. Boom, you're making money. You're, you're going viral for that. It's gonna feel maybe a little bit cheesy, a little bit commercialized at times, but hey, it'll also add even more layers to the sport. What do I have my eyebrow raised to? How in the world is all of this gonna happen during the season? Part of me says that the current power structure will prevent college athletes from getting overwhelmed by these NIL opportunities during the season. Playing time isn't guaranteed in college sports. If they lose focus, their coach can bench them. It isn't professional sports yet where there are those guaranteed contracts. There's still the desire to want to perform well enough on the college stage to make that life-changing wealth at the next level. And do you really think that control freaks like Kirby and Saban, you really think that those guys are gonna let their players skip practice, go shoot a commercial or sign autographs? No way, that's not happening. But here's what I wonder about. Will, have you looked on Cameo in the past week? No. Whole bunch of college football players are on there, as they should be. Right. Really smart. If I were in that spot, I would absolutely be on there. I don't know what my value would be. Fair market value is probably saying maybe 15 bucks, and that's pretty low. I'm going to set the bar low and kind of work up from there. What an easy way to make some extra money it'll be for those kids. Even Dicker the Kicker from Texas is on Cameo right now, and I think he's 24. I think he's 24 video, something like that. But what happens when they have a huge game? And after the game, they look down there and it's not just a thousand text messages, it's a thousand cameo requests. Most of these guys have that 24 hour commitment on. Do they just shut down cameo during the season? Do they have to spend two hours after games responding to cameos? And if you're the coach who bans cameo during the season, are you gonna be labeled as the guy who's anti-NIL? Speaking of being labeled as the anti-NIL coach, Dabo, oh Dabo, Dabo, Dabo. Everyone I'm assuming saw Dabo's comments from a couple years ago that resurfaced wherein he said that if college sports become professional, he'll just go to the NFL. It's an easy thing to, to poke fun at Dabo for, and I'm usually not one that says, let's listen to the full context of what Dabo oh, said. Oh no, you're pro Dabo, Cutter. I'm not pro Dabo. I'm not pro Dabo <laughs> because the optics of this were still beyond stupid. And this is what Dabo just doesn't realize living in that Clemson bubble because he said these comments just after he signed a deal worth $93 million. And 
he at the same time though he wasn't saying what everyone thought he did he was referring to the pay for play model and not the nil model again still a very bad look when you're the guy signing the 93 million dollar contract but i do have my eyebrow raised as to how those seem to be overlapping a ton. Pay for play is different. Pay for play is some of that money. If you make money on a TV contract, if you're a university, you get that SEC network money for part of that new CBS deal, whatever it is. Part of a percentage of that is going back to the player. The current model isn't that. That's not necessarily the way that we're operating, despite the fact that the Supreme Court unanimously said, hey, your business model, you're violating these antitrust rules, NCAA. You can't do this anymore. The worst person you know just made a great point. (laughs) <laughs> Dabo is, is has since come out and said, look, NIL is, is fine. That's making money off name, image, and likeness. It's different than the pay-for-play model. Again, not to defend Dabo, but that's worth remembering. But there is now this, this overlap, and especially now in these early days without the universal rules. One of the few rules that are in place is that no payment is through the university and no payment from an outside party is contingent on player performance. The latter is sort of laughable because it's like, well, of course, a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback is going to have a higher market value than the backup left guard. Miami, however, forced us all to raise an eyebrow, which has been said before. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) par for the course. Wouldn't have it any other way. They've got a deal set up with a booster, a bunch of boosters, that guarantees all scholarship players will get $500 a month to promote these MMA training facilities, which, Will, you're, you're familiar with that. It doesn't matter who you are necessarily at Miami. If you're a scholarship player, you're getting that opportunity on, on your doorstep if you so choose. So that basically is the most Miami thing ever. Bring Back the U is a marketing agency that's trying to rally boosters together to join ventures and help create these opportunities that are guaranteed for these scholarship athletes. But as Peter Burns and plenty others pointed out, what's stopping schools from creating a, a super PAC with forming dozens of businesses who just use this seven-figure pool of money to incentivize being a scholarship athlete at a given school. And then you get into the murky area of what's promised to you as a recruit, and that's what they're trying to avoid right now, though they're not doing a really good job of enforcing that. You know, right right there, that's it. Super PACs. That's how they're going to mess this up. Because, you know, we're sitting here, we're joking about barbecue and all this different stuff, and it's like, oh, this is so fun, this is so good for everyone. It's like, how are these boosters going to take this too far? Super PACs. That's it. I bet... I bet some schools are already trying to put that in place as we speak. And I'm, I'm going to just be the skeptical person and ask, is it a good thing or a bad thing? If it is a bad thing, we can't assume that the NCAA is actually going to put its foot down because they've turned this over to Congress. They're like the parent who gave up. <laughs> That's really what they've become at this point. And again, if it's, if it's a bad thing then one would tend to think that there are going to be rules in place to prevent this. We just don't know what that's going to look like. Meanwhile, all these compliance departments have to be overwhelmed beyond belief. Shout out to our guy, Wes Blankenship, for that video last week. <laughs> I love the point that I just died. Q-Ball Bailey just signed with head and shoulders. I know he's bald. I pointed that out. <laughs> Wes is A-plus creator of content. This is a weird but wild time in college athletics. And it'll probably feel that way for a while. I felt like I just rattled off, I don't know, 
eight different elements of this and there are dozens of things that I probably haven't even accounted for yet, like the agent stuff and how that'll work when some of these guys break their contracts. I'll hold off on judgment for that. I'll instead do what I can do to hold off on assuming the worst of this. Will, any major takeaways from the start of the NIL era? Man, we already talked about, I was talking about Stingley's career was like an episode of Community where things are just shuffling in and out. How about being an athlete from like 2019 to now where it's like you have like one regular season, one pandemic season, and one season where everybody's just selling Tootsie Pops. And it's just... just That's a great point. Every year is just something completely different. It's like... What are we doing here? Like and like I said, I'm pro everything, but it's the fact that it came right after the most bonkers season we've ever had. Like these college athletes, there's gonna be more distance between like next year and the year after as college athletes than guys from like five years ago because their experience is gonna be night and day. If you take out the pandemic and get that whole recruiting cycle out just based on the NIL stuff, being a college athlete today is gonna be so different. And like I said, it's not necessarily gonna be worse. Um, I'm really happy these guys are getting paid and being able to leverage their skills because we hear the story too often about guys that weren't able to get in at the right time. But as you said, the thing that I worry about is guys being taken advantage of. And, you know, yeah. as someone who I, you know, I had a marketing degree or a sports marketing degree and saw kind of the inside of this stuff and have been part of that world. Not everyone obviously has the athlete's best interest at heart. And Part of that that you said that I think is also a good point is that especially if you're going to be a pro, you know, maybe it's better to get the kinks out early and realize that and get that business shield up early when you're 19, 20, as opposed to being handed a multi-million dollar contract and look around, everybody's got their hand out. So that could be a plus for a lot of more famous guys. But yeah, I, I do think a lot of it goes on the, um, the universities to really safeguard these kids. And, you know, God bless those compliance departments, man, because they're going to be having to tell a lot of people no, and they're going to be having to get in a lot of fights. And especially with the transfer portal rule, which is something we might, haven't talked about that might even factor in here, which is mm. that, I mean, I'm sure the compliance departments are going to have certain coaches up their back saying, hey, you can't tell this guy he can't do this or he's going to leave or this is going to happen because at the end of the day, it's their job as a university, as much of a joke as that has been, to look after these kids and not get them in sketchy situations. So, yeah, I, I think that it's a, a brave new world out there, and I'm just excited to see how it develops. There's more incentive than ever to play as well, as you talk about the yep. transfer portal. And I think it's going to lead to a lot of guys transferring in August. And now with not having to sit out a year, knowing that you, you've got to be able to capitalize on your athletic prime right now. And if the doors are open to allow you to do that, yeah, we could see some of these guys who have ad deals all of a sudden up and leave their school and all of a sudden what happens with, you know, with stuff like that. And that's not necessarily the problem of us, the consumer, but it is where this stuff starts to get really messy. And I think that there are just so many different little pieces of this that we're going to continue to, to figure out that it, it is just a different world for the college athlete in the 2020s as opposed to anything that came before it. And we'll talk with Cash Daniel a lot about that specifically. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Saturday Football Newsletter. Look, you've heard me say it hundreds of times. I think probably a hundred times by now. If you are not already subscribed to the Saturday Football Newsletter, what are you doing? All you got to do, go to your browser, you type in saturday.football, you put your email address right in there, and then twice a week during the offseason, you're going to get all of the headlines that you need in college football to stay informed, to not necessarily have to sift through all of social media, to be a smarter college football fan. You want perspective from other publications? We got that. We break down stuff like the PFF top 50 players in the sport, and, and what's it looking like with this all-conference team and that all-conference team. 
Adam Spencer, Dustin Schutte, those guys do such a great job of putting it together. It has helped inform me during this time in which I've been on Twitter way, 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 way less. And I cannot recommend enough subscribing to the Saturday Football Newsletter. All you gotta do is go to saturday.football, put your email address in, and I promise you'll be glad you did. Will, we are in the heat of talking season right now. July. Fake quote season. Love it. You're, you're all about the fake quotes. Real quick, before we talk some best case scenario stuff, uh, talking season does yield a lot of these fake quotes. And I know that became a major thing about two years ago where you see these graphics thrown out there. Be weary of anything that, that gets thrown out there, people listening to this. But Will, I know you've got a fire take on, on fake quotes. It's just the worst thing in the world, man. It's like, it's one thing if you're making up fake quotes from, you know, professional athletes, because that's their whole job. But if you've got a kid who's 19, 20, and all people see is this little glimpse of their lives, and what they see is, okay, boom, some like Instagram account made this fake, made this fake quote of them saying something really disrespectful, something really strange, and that's all you have, and you file that away, and like we've talked about that with like the Mandela effect and stuff, where it's like, you hear something wrong one time, and that's what you think for the rest of your life. And it sucks that that's a part of the world. It sucks that someone sits there and just goes, oh, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm just going to make something up for clicks. And, like, there's no consequences to it whatsoever. And so, yeah, like, I saw that thing the other day with the Eric King that was just totally oh, made up. Was, and it's like, they're not even trying anymore. Like, as a content creator, it's disrespectful to me because, it's like, at least make your fake thing look good. <laughs> but it's like, no, yeah. slap that MS Paint logo on there, bro, and just make something up. And, like, that's what I always say to people is, like, ask yourself. you got to be skeptical because deep down we want to believe that athletes are giving us the tasty quote. But you got to say to yourself, why would this person do this? Are they insane? Because if, if that's not the case, you really got to look hard. Like, if it's an athlete, there are some athletes, you know, the Dennis Rodmans of the world, that you're just like, oh, this guy could say anything. He's a loose cannon. But it's like, if it's a regular guy, you got to really ask yourself, like, did he say he wanted to kill Nick Saban? Is that what he said? Like, really, dude? Get it from more than one place as well. That's if fact. If you've only seen it from one place, make sure that you're getting it from respected sources, SaturdayDownSouth.com included. Talking season is definitely in full swing, and I think fans can have expectations that, to use a phrase from the office, run amok a little bit. I think that happens at certain times, and I don't necessarily blame them because the offseason is long, and expectations are always high when you're undefeated. So we're just talking about regular season here. And these best case scenarios that I have mapped out for each SEC East team, they're going to sound very optimistic because they are. Again, it's best case scenario, not necessarily what I think is going to happen. It's if you play this season out 20 times, this is every break going your way and you're maximizing your team's potential. The best example of that is 2013 Auburn. They caught breaks. They had talent. As I always say, I had former players on that team tell me that as much as Malzahn worked his magic, that team was a lot closer to being contender coming into that year than probably what people realize. But I wouldn't have, in my wildest dreams, predicted going into that year that Auburn's best case scenario that season was going to a national championship. As much as I like to weigh all the factors for upside, which are talent, coaching, scheduling, some best case scenarios are beyond what I thought or think is possible. So here's what I'm going to do to keep myself honest here. If your team surpasses my best case scenario, I'm going to write an apology letter to your team at the end of the season. I will hold myself to all of these things. Feel free to remind me about these takes. And again, these are not record projections. 
I'll do those in my crystal ball series that comes out in August on SaturdayDownSouth.com and we'll dig into all of those on here as well. These are ball bounces the exact right way. And I, I just want to start with the East today and we'll do the West next week. That's for the sake of time, so I'm not going 45 minutes on this. And this is alphabetical order, so don't tell yourself that this is order of finish or anything like that. Let's start with Florida. Best case scenario, 10 and 2. So much of this feels dependent on the quarterback situation. And I assume that Emory Jones is going to be the guy. Anthony Richardson's development, massive. If nothing else, him being ready allows Dan Mullen to run the offense the way that he wants to with Emory Jones. But I actually want to push back on the belief that it's all about the quarterback production because I think Florida's upside is determined by how it handles playing in the trenches because that's what it's been limited with in the last couple years. On offense, Florida cannot have these games where it just abandons the run. If you're on that championship level, you're not getting called out midseason for being a liability up front. And on defense, questions about the defensive tackle spots are there, but I'm buying all the Brenton Cox stock. Yep. Sorry, Georgia fans. I thought Zachary Carter was gonna lead the SEC in sacks last year, a bit inconsistent. I might end up still doubling down on that because I think they have a lot of good pieces working off the edge. Florida's defense, even with Todd Grantham, is going to be better. Here's why I say 10 and two. 10 and two, the best case scenario is the defense getting better and looking like 2018, 2019 Grantham, take the Georgia game out of that. With the edge rushers being there all over the place, making plays, Jabari Zuniga, John Grenard, and it's also Emory Jones becoming an all SEC caliber player, which he has that type of upside. So why not 11 and one for best case scenario? I almost did that, but it's those three big games for that I just keep coming back to. At home against Alabama, at LSU, and then against Georgia and Jacksonville, of course. Is Florida getting two out of three there? Well, I've got a stat that you'll use the next time I try and tell you that I think Dan Mullen is still an elite coach. Can't wait. Dan Mullen is 2-28 and 28 in his career against teams who finished ranked in the AP Top 10. I, I know those two victories. I, I thought of them instantly. Will, can you? The two victories. Uh, gosh, I mean, one of them had to be Georgia last year. Yes, that's one. Oh, man. You should know the other. Had to be LSU 2018. Just like that. Yep. That's it. So that's why I can't get there with the 11-1 and upside for Florida just yet. Georgia. Real quick. Best no, case. No, no, hold on. Okay. Florida fans, all they care about is do you think they can win the East in the best case scenario? A 10 and 2 team can win the East. Yes. A 10 and 2 team can win the East. I do think that there is that little sliver of hope that I don't think any other team in the East has that upside. So that, that scenario is there. It takes Georgia going 11 and Georgia can go 11 and 1 and Florida can still win the East. Technically. Right. Because depending on where that loss comes from, if, you know, let's say Florida goes 10-2 and two and loses to like Florida State or something like that, but still beats Georgia as well, then that's what that would come down to. But so the I cold think take here for table. Florida would be if they go 11-1 and one and win the East, or if they go 10-2. and two. Basically, my question is, if Florida goes 10-2 and two and wins the East, are people allowed to be in your mentions? No, I think uh, we're just projecting, <laughs> we're projecting record. We're projecting record. Right, okay. I'm, I'm saying that's on the table. Okay. So if, if, they go, if they go 11-1, and one, yes, they can be in my mentions okay. all day. 
But we're, we're not necessarily, like I'm not saying Florida doesn't have the upside to theoretically beat Georgia. I, I would still pick Georgia to win that game if I'm looking at it right now. But I'm saying that the cards are in place where if the ball bounces their way, they could still figure some things out and be able to have a path to the East that I don't see being there for the Kentuckys, the gotcha. South Carolinas, yeah. Just making sure. those teams. Yes. Good. I, I like that you threw that out there as well because division standings is what people really care about. Georgia, the best case scenario, it's obvious. It's 12-0. It's it's twelve and zero, and and I won't do postseason projections in this because I think a lot of that stuff kind of depends on matchups and bowl games and stuff like that. So we won't go there. We'll just focus on the regular season. I'm not the first person or the last person to say this, of course, but obviously if Georgia beats Clemson, you're going to hear the twelve and zero conversations come up a lot. And, and for what it's worth, there are a few sort of tricky road games in there at Auburn, at Tennessee, at Georgia Tech. I'll say this because I'm sure a lot of people just heard me say Tennessee is a tricky road game and laughed out loud. The one thing I'll say, Tennessee's offense matches up against Georgia so much better than it did at any point basically since 2016 because they can actually stretch the field. It's going to be a lot of first or second progression reads. That's where you have to take some chances against Georgia downfield. You can't dink and dunk and split two dudes out wide and hope to be able to have these 13 play drives against them. Think 2017 Mizzou against Georgia, which was also a Josh Heupel offense. Georgia, however, might also put up 50 by halftime against that Vols defense. Best case scenario is this for Georgia. Obviously, JT Daniels is a revelation. He figures out some of these intermediate accuracy issues. He spreads it around really well and looks the part. Heisman candidate, all of those things are on the table. Eric Gilbert's transition to receiver doesn't take away from what Kyrus Jackson does well in the slot. And you can have Gilbert get separation playing him on the outside where George Pickens, of course, played 92% of his snaps last year. Best case scenario, Georgia's biggest midseason problem is being like, hey, there's only one ball. What are we going to do when Pickens comes back in a few weeks? If that's the conversation we're having about Georgia, they're in the midst of their best case scenario. There's so much depth as well in the running game. And I love the thought of James Cook in an offense that can beat you in a ton of ways. The best case for the Georgia defense, notice I said defense, is 2019 LSU or even 2020 Bama. They're going to have moments where it's rough. That's happening. Think about those those teams, 2019 LSU and 2020 Bama, when they played Ole Miss. There are just going to be some teams who get them. And it looks like a team that has some flaws. But is South Carolina going to put up 28 points on that group? No. They'll be lights out against the teams that they should beat. N'Kobe Dean and Adam Anderson, they should explode with full reps. They in the best case scenario, they become legitimate All-America candidates. Best case scenario is Tyke Smith, the West Virginia transfer, becoming on defense what James Cook is on offense. That is the versatile hybrid player who allows other guys to do what they do best. If Georgia avoids those injuries, the upside is at the level of 2020 Bama. Not 2019 LSU. Unfair probably at this point to say that anyone has that upside. But 12-0 is best case scenario for Georgia. Kentucky. Best case scenario is 9 and 3. 9 and 3 is this offense clicking from the jump, which I have my doubts about. I think 2019 LSU and 2014 Bama, they ruined our perception of what a new offense's upside can be in year 1. I'm looking into the crystal ball and I'm having this realization of Liam Cohen, shout out to my doppelganger, and I picture him saying to himself, "Wow, 
this team doesn't really have a bevy of capable receivers ready to fully execute this. I don't think it'll be as drastic as Mike Leach realizing that he didn't have the offensive line to protect an offense that throws the ball 50 times a game, but there's a piece of me that's worried at the same time. I can't wait to see Wandell Robinson, Chris Rodriguez in what should be a balanced offense. I've heard that Cavassier Smoke is the guy that we shouldn't be sleeping on. No matter what though, it's a first year starter at quarterback. You might hear all that and think, wow, so how are they still potentially going to have 9-3 and three upside? Isn't this the team with one winning SEC season in the last four decades? I come back to the defense. It's going to be really good. And I don't know how Mark Stoops always has at least a minimum of six returning starters because they just had five defensive starters drafted. And I think they're going to really miss Quinton Bohanna a lot at nose tackle, probably more than any other guy not named Jamin Davis. But they're going to be exceptional in the front seven with Josh Paschal, DeAndre Square, Jordan Wright, Justin Rogers. Should be better at pressuring the quarterback. They really only did that against bad offensive lines last year, if you look back on that. A 4-0 non-conference slate, I'd say, is very likely. In order for this to happen, though, Kentucky has to be 4-0 heading into October. Then you get Florida. LSU, and then you're at Georgia. Wow. They'll be lucky to get one of those. That's a brutal three-game stretch. But there's not another game on that schedule where I look at and think that it's a team that would undoubtedly be favored by significant points against Kentucky. They don't have another game on that schedule besides that three-game stretch against a team that had a winning record last year. So that's why 9-3, and three, which would match 2018, that regular season, is best-case scenario. Real quick Let's on Kentucky. Um, yeah, the, the, far away. the QB thing, it's like, you know, it's been amazing what, what Kentucky has been able to do with suspect QB play for the last couple of years. So I would say, like, getting a new QB, I don't have the same question marks because I know what their worst case scenario is, and it's still pretty good. Did you just hate on neighbor Terry Wilson? I didn't hate on anybody. Felt like I did. It. There was no finger pointing. I was I just didn't saying, like you that. know, they could have gotten some more things from that position without putting any blame. I'm just saying. Did you just knock Wim Bowden's ability to throw a forward pass? Because this is not the time or place for that. You know, Kentucky fans have a lot to be excited about. This is what I'm saying. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Mizzou, best case scenario, 8-4. and four. Defensively, I'm a bit worried. Great hire to go out and get someone like Steve Wilkes. Uh, I think that's a better long-term move than a short-term move. A little bit worried about not having Ryan Walters, who stayed on staff, through the first year of the Eli Drinkowitz era from the Barry Odom staff, the Nick Bolton factor worries me. I know I've had a lot of these 2019 LSU references in this pod, but this is a 2018 LSU reference. That team in 2019 missed Devin White in the middle of that defense. They missed having that alpha dog there. Mm. And just because he plugs so many different holes, and he is so respected and loved by his teammates where when you need that guy to make a pass breakup, you need that guy to make a tackle in space, he is reliable. So I wonder about that with Mizzou this year with not having Nick Bolton because I kind of think that Nick Bolton is SEC East Devin White. That's the comp I've been making for the last couple of years. And I think that, you know, the Ryan Walters thing, like I said, him being at Illinois now, it's going to feel very different for a Mizzou defense that already had some holes. That limits Mizzou's upside. Best case scenario, Connor Bazelak isn't necessarily just a game manager. He's a star. Forgotten is that Mizzou needs a Larry Roundtree replacement because this because 
this can become a top 25 passing offense. I, I still am, am a believer of that just because of some of the early things that we've seen from Basilek. But I think that we we would tend to look at this running game and, and think they, they have to establish that balance. And if they don't, they're going to be in some problems. The upside for this offense and for Basilek specifically, 2018 Ryan Finley. He really blossomed after getting used to Eli Drinkowitz's offense at NC State. And Finley was the first team all ACC quarterback in 2018 and not Trevor Lawrence. Which is a crazy thing to look back wow, on. Wow, yeah. People, people don't point that out. Best case scenario is receivers like Kiki Chisholm and Mookie Cooper become a legit one-two punch with a really easy marketing pitch of Kiki and Mookie, which that sounds like a sitcom waiting to happen. I think eight and four upside, perfectly fair. Crossover draw, home against AM. Aggies are going to be coming off that Bama game. And given how well Mizzou played at home last year, that's not an impossible game. I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to pick them outright to win that. Mizzou might only be favored in one of five road games. That's where the, the four loss, the four loss ceiling really comes into play. Eight and four upside is fine for a team who hasn't played consecutive games as a ranked team since 2015. Will, any problems with eight and four as, as the ceiling for Mizzou? No, yeah, you love what Jerkowitz did coming in there during the pandemic year, kind of steadying the ship. Um, you know, big fan of him, friend of the program. I think that, you know, the sky's the limit for them. Love what they've done so far. Speaking of friends of the program, Shane Beamer, year one. Best case scenario, six and six. That sounds low because it is. Buy low on Shane Beamer. The recruiting he's done with those new facilities is remarkable. South Carolina fans are understandably fired up about some of the inroads that he has been able to make. Michael Bratton ran the numbers on the most improved classes in the SEC in June, and South Carolina was leading the pack. But this year, as it relates to this current 2021 roster, yikes. Bill Connolly's uh, updated percentage of returning production in the spring, South Carolina ranked 125 out of 127 FBS teams. That's with Kevin Harris back. Quick side note here, eight SEC teams are in the bottom 25 in the percentage of returning production stat, and nobody is in the top 40, not even Ole Miss or LSU. That's because group of five teams had a lot of these guys take advantage of this free year of eligibility. It's also easier than ever to transfer. Anyways, best case scenario is the front seven being really good for South Carolina. Best case scenario, Jordan Birch becomes a star. South Carolina finds several guys who can rush the passer. Pro Football Focus had Kingsley Henigbare as the highest graded pass rusher on third down in all of college football last year. So if he's that guy, Jordan Birch looks like a five star and you don't get these constant reminders that JC Horn was a generational corner at a place like South Carolina, then it's, it's out there. Best case scenario is Luke Doty becoming a better than average SEC quarterback, and I'm a little bit hesitant to say that. But also in this world, the running back duo is elite. Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd. Teams are going to have eight in the box constantly. That, that's going to happen. And if they don't, they should fire their defensive coordinator. That limits the upside, in my opinion. A, a bit of some 2019 Kentucky to this team. Could likely be a three-touchdown dog in four games, which at Georgia, at Texas A&M, against Florida, and against Clemson. And then best case scenario is winning two of these games, home against Kentucky, at Tennessee, at Mizzou, home against Auburn. But I don't see them splitting two of those four. 
the best version of this team gets to a bowl game and Beamer looks like a really good long-term fit. Let's do Tennessee. Let's. I'm gonna get some. I'm gonna get some hate for this. I almost went with seven and five, but I settled on six and six. Mm. There's an obvious ceiling to a team who cannot defend, and if you don't believe that, 2017, 2018 Ole Miss is proof of it. I don't believe Tennessee's gonna defend at all. The roster attrition is horrendous. 122 in percentage of returning production. And we know that's not even including the fact that in their 2021 class, they lost seven recruits rated four stars or better since the Pruitt stuff all kind of came came out there. And their top two rated recruits left. And both have already, or their top two recruits who stayed have already both been suspended, including Caden Salter, who was kicked off the team after his second arrest. Not great. Playing defense with that offense, the all or nothing style, as I've said many a time, is going to make a bad defense look worse. I said it before and I'll say it again. Josh Heupel's dream scenario is being the 2020 version of Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. That's his team's path to national relevance in year one. It shows that it can score against these elite teams and you'll actually have a chance to catch the eyes of the Arch Mannings and the Ty Simpsons of the world. And for what it's worth, I think Tennessee's offense is going to be fun. I, I really do. I'm going to bring it up again. 2017 Mizzou with Drew Locke. That's kind of the, the vision of what they can be in this ideal world. They can give us those moments. The, the first half against Georgia. That game was so fun. But then sustaining it for 60 minutes, it just doesn't happen against good, good defenses because they can make those adjustments. The best case scenario involves Heupel finding his guy at quarterback and sticking with him. He puts up some big year one numbers. Tennessee has an offense that fans actually want to come out and see. Maybe an offense that isn't like the part in the concert when the slow stuff or the covers come out and you just go to the bathroom. That's been Tennessee's offense under Jeremy Pruitt. The problem though, Tennessee's not beating Florida, they're not beating Georgia, and they're not beating Bama. And then would they really have a winning record against Pitt, at Mizzou, South Carolina, Ole Miss and at Kentucky. Are they going to get a winning record out of that group? I don't think so. I think they're probably two and three at best in those games, which is how I get to six and six. Am I too low on Tennessee, Will? No, I think that Tennessee's this is going to be a transition year for sure. When you go from a guy like Pruitt who didn't know what asparagus was to a guy like Heupel who is run, run, run all day, you know, you look at these players that Tennessee has made their bread and butter with, like guys like Trey Smith, they're just these big hulking dudes. And those guys don't really fit the hypo system. They're too heavy. Um, they're going to get gassed. So I think that that's why you saw a lot of the attrition is guys looked around and said, I don't want to do cardio. I don't want to do cardio for four hours. It's not fun. You know, we talked about not being cardio guys. And you, <laughs> you have to, I mean, I, I understand. As being a big guy, I wouldn't want to do that kind of cardio as an offensive lineman to run no huddle, get up to the line, snap the ball, and then get graded off of that film when you're gassed. So that being said, they're going to need to get in their new cycle of players and guys who know what they're signing up for. Um, now, like I said, you know, they could shock some people, and I agree with the offensive upside. It's just one of those things where they still have this mixed roster. This is a horrible, horrible, horrible example, but just this is the first one that comes to mind for me. Whenever Saban took over Alabama and they had, like, the old guard of people that hadn't bought in yet, you know, if Hypo's successful, there's going to be people who buy into his system, and they're not totally in the building yet. Exactly. Year one is going to be... I think tough. And, and there'll be a lot of reminders of that. Maybe not necessarily <clears throat> reminders to the extent of Georgia State or BYU, but there could be plenty of reminders in which you're reminded that 
plenty of reminders that you're reminded that I should just stop saying the word remind. But yes, I agree with you 100% that year one is going to have some just some tough moments. Vandy, probably going to be even worse for the other team in the state. Best case scenario, four and eight. Usually if you're a team who doesn't win a game, you can sell yourself on a bunch of guys returning maybe. Not Vandy. Vandy ranks 100, 10, number 105 in percentage of returning production. On the bright side though, there probably won't be massive issues with COVID and injuries probably won't bite them as bad as they did last year because it seemed like last year was the worst case scenario for, for Vandy. Best case scenario is Ken Seals being a decent SEC quarterback who really gels with this new coaching staff. And the fact that he's got his top two receivers back, Cam Johnson, Amir, Abdur, Rahman, uh, that, that is probably your path to being able to stay on the field with some of these SEC teams if you're Vandy. And Clark Lee was so steady as a defensive coordinator in his three years at Notre Dame. The problem is that Vandy's isn't Notre Dame, of course. Poor Vandy. Well, the only transfers that Vandy has added since January 1st was not one, but two kickers. They got the former hey, Bama kicker. Hey, got to compete. You know what I'm saying? It's, hey, day one, competition. No job is safe, all right? No job is safe. If you're going to kick at Vandy, you better be elite. They, they got the former Bama kicker, too, Joseph Bullivis. That was their, their big-time transfer. Had a stud running back, Keon Henry Brooks. He hit the transfer portal. He's going to Louisiana Tech. You get East Tennessee State and home against UConn. Those are the only obvious wins. You have to go to Colorado State. You host Stanford. We can't even do the body clock thing for Stanford because that game's being played at 8 o'clock. PM Eastern time. Oh. Clark Lee might be worthy of SEC Coach of the Year honors if he gets his team to five and seven. That's that's what we're talking about here. And it's different than Arkansas last year because there were people incorrectly saying if you know Arkansas looked like a team that was hit by NCAA sanctions. When if you actually look at the two four seven sports composite, the cupboard wasn't left totally bare. I think they were in the top twenty-five in that category. So it was just more of a depth issue. Vandy doesn't have either of those things, and it's going to be rough. I'll set the ceiling at 4-8 and eight and say that I won't have Vandy sweeping non-conference play or winning multiple SEC games. Will, you got any, Will, you got any fire thoughts? On, did I just call you Will? Will. Will. My old Spanish teacher. Anyway, so yeah. Uh, no, I mean, hey, you know, you got, your, you got your College World Series appearance to be happy about. You got Perfect. nightlife in Nashville is back, folks. Uh, yep. So overall, it's going to be you know good college football season. And hey, if the Clark Lee thing works, you can say I was here year one, and boom, those are your positives. Love it. And they're actually finally doing some renovations. So don't look at the record or the scoreboard, Vandy fans. I hate ending with Vandy. I really hate doing that. They're never fun. I should have just probably moved them up and had ended with Tennessee. Oh well, that's beside the point. Let's kick it to Cash Daniel. I know some people listening to this, Florida fans specifically will always hate cash for the Kyle Trask play, and that is your right to do so. If that's your perspective, I only ask that you listen to cash as an individual who has seen and experienced a lot. I'm admittedly, I, I think I'm biased on this because I've gotten to know and like him for the last couple of years. And I think though you'll hear in this conversation, he's really evolved as a human being and he's become pretty savvy when it comes to using his skills to take advantage of some opportunities, which, now with NIL in full effect, that is especially important. So 
Here is Cash Daniel. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is former Kentucky linebacker and current uh, creator of all sorts of outdoors content. It is Cash Daniel. Cash, I, I probably just sold you short by saying those things because you're working with UK Sports Network, you're doing a podcast, you've got local TV stuff, you've got the Ohio Valley Wrestling, all that. Like you're doing, I know you're doing local ads as well. Probably a few other things that I didn't mention. You've got just so much going on right now. Are you as busy now as you were during your playing days? I believe I was a lot busier uh, during my playing days. But, yeah, uh, no, I don't think you sold me short at all, man. I think I'm trying to create something new and exciting uh, every day or create something that I've been wanting to work on, you know, for a long time. And now that, you know, now that I'm out of the uh, – now I'm out of the, the – playing side of things you know it, it's kind of nice to be on the other side of the media side of things and be able to uh talk with these guys and you know do all sorts of different stuff almost kind of like you know how, how pat mcafee does stuff now i mean that guy does literally everything he's on friday night smackdown he has his own show um you know he's on college game day i mean literally i'm i'm not trying to be pat mcafee but like the schedule and and what he does and how he's constantly staying busy and you know doing something promotional um, those are the kind of the lines, you know, that I'm trying to, uh, to walk right now with my life. And I think a lot of people like Pat and like what he has built post playing career because he is who he is and he's well, not you. going to change his personality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's a certain, there, there's a certain piece of that, that I think people are attracted to and they, they want to consume more of what they're doing. And, you know, last time we had you on, I think it was around this time last year, and we talked about dealing with the the post-playing career, what's next part of your life, where you didn't have those those football opportunities available in part because of, you know, the COVID shut down the pro day, and then all these other avenues that probably would have been there weren't because of COVID. But, you know, just talking with you a few weeks ago in Lexington, it kind of hit me how much work you have put in to line up these opportunities for yourself in the last year and to really be able to kind of build your own unique path. How different of a place are, are you at right now compared to maybe this time last year? I'm at a, a lot better place than this time last year, man. You talk about that uh, that transition from, from being a player to now an everyday civilian. Um, you know, it, it's hard at times because my whole life I was, identified you know around athletics and around what I did on the football field you know from the time I was 14 years old you know I knew I wanted to be a football player and that's how everybody associated themselves with me they're like hey that's cash and he's a football player this this and that and um, you know playing in the SEC and playing at the University of Kentucky with Kentucky being a state that has no professional sports teams and that's why everybody and their brothers a, a Reds or a Bengals fan here just because Cincinnati is the closest professional teams we have um, it almost felt like you were a professional athlete in the state of Kentucky at times. I mean, I'm sure that the basketball players could speak more on this more than I could just because of, you know, how just because of how they are in the university and how they've been a staple of Kentucky athletics for so long. But, um, you know, once the, uh, once the playing days were over, you know, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing right now on, you know, finding out who I am, uh, what I really am as a person, you know, and, other things besides football you know and uh it's been a hard path you know i mean uh, I've, I've had to i've had to look at my life from a different angle at times and you know reflect on some things in the past and try to you know 
make uh, make better decisions and better uh, judgments moving forward and you know just really just working on uh having better good days and bad days man and keeping a smile on my face and keep going and uh just try to make something happen you have a unique perspective on the name image and likeness era because there's just no doubt whatsoever that you would have made a lot of money 2018 2019 Though at the same time, now you're doing a lot of the things that would have probably been available to you back then if you had the time to be able to do some of these things during the offseason. How would you have approached this if those rules were in place? And let's just say right before the 2018 season. So kind of peak value for you as a player of being able to capitalize on this. What would your approach have been? It would have been a very business-like approach for me because now when you look at this NIL deal, College athletics, as we knew it, is over with. It is absolutely done with. We'll never be back. Um, it is now almost like a, a professional locker room, in a sense. I mean, yeah, obviously guys are there to play for the team and help help the team win and things like that. But at the same time, they're there to promote themselves and help to make some money off on the side. Uh, I was always a team guy. I always will be. And so I would say that my more of my focus would probably be on the team and what we could have done uh, collectively as a group. And, yeah, obviously I would have taken any opportunity and chances that, that presented itself. But as long as it didn't affect me and how I go about my business day in and day out, obviously I would have made some money here and there off T-shirts and uh, sweatshirts and jersey sales and poster sales, autographs and things like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I would have still remembered that, you know, I play for the University of Kentucky. I play for Coach Stoops and I play for my home state. So at the end of the day, I'm still I would still be that same guy that's still fiery, you know, team oriented guy that puts his teammates first. But you know, in the off season and things like that, then yeah, I would have uh, I probably I probably would have banked in on some coin around here. But I'm just so glad that that these uh, that these athletes get that opportunity. You know, even even if I'm only removed, you know, so many a year or two. But uh, it's just a great time in college athletics, and it's been a long time coming. So I'm excited to see you know where this deal goes with these kids. I don't know how NFT works. NFTs confuse me in a lot of different ways because I don't really know like who, who has access to those and, and how that, that whole thing works out, works out financially. But the NFT of the post-Florida water bottle chug alone, I got to think that would have been some nice coin for you. Yeah, we could have made some really nice T-shirts out of that. I think Barstool made a T-shirt out of that, and I didn't get to see a dime of it. So, yeah, it would have been nice to have uh, to be able to capitalize off something as stupid as that. But, yeah, that would have been that would have been pretty fun. You know, I, I, I've thought about this a lot, too. And I, I saw Anaya Smith, the Texas A&M running back receiver, come out and say that he was going to donate some of his uh, his NIL earnings back to his team. And I know a lot of fans that have opposed this this new era have said, oh, they need to be giving the team credit for their success. They wouldn't be anything without their teammates. How does that dynamic break down in the locker room? Is that something where you you would have looked around and, and been jealous of certain guys who would have gotten more opportunities? You would have been at the top of the line in terms of getting those opportunities. So maybe your perspective would have been different. But is that something that you think can divide a locker room now and coaches are really going to have to monitor? Oh, it's it's going to be one of the biggest bumps in the road that they'll have to overcome is the uh, the more individualism on the team as from the time that I was in college and or from the time I stepped on campus to the time I left, the the level of 
individualism uh, grew substantially, mainly because of how social media works and how promoting and marketing works. But, yeah, I do believe that could be a problem in some areas. But guys have to understand when they walk in that locker room, like I said before, that they still play for the university and they still play for uh, the Kentucky Wildcats. And I can, I can see how guys, you know, like, if, uh, like for example, when I came in and, uh, you know, Josh Allen was signing with all these different, with all these different companies, this, this, and that, I could see how that make, would make a guy that, um, you know, feels like he should be promoted more, even if he's from, even if he's not as big as Josh Allen, maybe, you know, like, like me, I'm a Kentucky kid, this, this, and that. Um, but yeah, I could see easily how it can turn into a, well, I'm not getting this, why is he getting this? But what the thing that people don't understand is, and I've actually asked so many questions about how this whole ordeal would work, is that they can't complain to anybody at the university because the university has nothing to do with it. There's nothing that right. they can do to say, hey, you know, so-and-so is getting pushed and he's got these many companies. How come I'm not getting any companies? And they're sitting there with their hands tied, like, listen, we can't help you. Like, the days of being able to get kids even like videos and photos and things like that that I've heard have changed. They got to have their own photographers, videographers, and things like that if they want to promote it on their social media and things like that. So it's changed the game, and it's going to be a it's going to be a learning curve for everybody. So I expect that this first year, you're going to see more you know bumps in the road than you will down the line. Obviously, just because they have to work things out and make sure that administrators, coaches, and team captains. Make sure that everybody's on the same page at the end of the day. That's the biggest thing is make sure that everybody's on the same page with the same goal in mind, going out and winning games and putting on for the university. If I were in your spot, I, I probably would have already done all the mental math about how much money I could have made. Do you have a, a rough estimate that you've kind of tossed around in your no, mind of how I, much you would have been able to cash in? No, because it would just piss me off. That's all I would do. It would just piss, <laughs> it, it would just piss me off. Just another lost opportunity right there, man. <laughs> I mean, I look at someone like Benny. If there's one thing I know about Benny Snell, it's that he can captivate an audience and he could probably make a pretty penny. Oh, my God. Snell, it. yeah. He had his own slogan, Snell, yeah. I mean, he could have sold, <laughs> sold Snell, yeah, T-shirts. Uh, he could have sold that spinning mouthpiece probably. Uh, everything, man. Yeah, Benny was another guy. He he would have definitely made a lot of coin here at UK with just just because of the slogan alone, Snell. Yeah, I mean he could have made a Did boatload of, of money, and then probably. And I was thinking about this the other day too, and I was listening to Tim Couch talk about it. There would probably there'd yeah. be some guys that would probably have to take a pay cut to go to the NFL before they leave college. Now, I mean, but and this is a great opportunity for people that you know maybe those juniors that have to go to college because. They feel like they have to put on for their family or their friends or make sure they're taking care of themselves and their family. They could be like, hey, man, I'm, I'm making enough money in college right now to where I can, you know, not maybe support at the level that I want to if I was in the NFL, but support enough to where I can play another year of college football and maybe get my ranks up and go even a higher in a draft pick next year and be able to get more money that way. So this is going to be – I think you're going to see a lot more kids that stay, uh, that stay for their senior year because of this. I think we already saw that, too, this past year with some of these guys who took advantage of the free year of eligibility. And it's different when you're all of a sudden told, look, you don't have to worry about not potentially having any sort of earnings. You're going to be able to, to capitalize. And if you are one of those players who can go on in the NFL, you'll, you'll kind of double dip by being able to do yeah. that. You won't have to make that tough decision. Um, here's a question for you. Just thought of this as you were bringing up some of the, you know, Tim Couch and, and you know, talking about Benny. Who would have made more at Kentucky with the name image likeness era? 
Benny or the late great Jared Lorenzen, aka Jared, Jared Lorenzen. Jared Lorenzen, without a question. Because Benny had, I mean, obviously Benny was a great player, he was the greatest running back in UK football history. Broke every record on the man there. Just a just a home name now. When you mention Kentucky football, one of the first names you think of is Benny Snell Jr. But in those times when when Jared was there, I mean, that guy had like six different nicknames that he could have made merchandise off of. So that's six different avenues and that's six different ways of, you know, promoting yourself and promoting your brand out there. Just how he was and his character and his charisma and how he engaged with the fans and the people of Kentucky. He would have – it would have been a toss-up between him and Tim Couch of who would have probably made the most money out of this whole deal. I might be in the top ten, but those two right there, it would have to – it would come down to pretty close between Tim Couch and Jared Lorenzo just because of how Jared was. Um, I mean, he was he was so dynamic, and it was something that college football hasn't seen before before him. So he could have made a lot of money off that now that you think about it. I didn't even think about that for a second. Can you, as a kid who grew up in Kentucky, think about what your reaction would have been if you had seen a Pillsbury commercial, a national Pillsbury commercial with the Pillsbury Throw Boy yeah. advertising for that? Yeah, How been, crazy you would have gone as a kid. Oh, it would have been nuts. I would have you know, screamed for my mom and dad, say, hey, 22's on the, on the TV, 22's on the TV. I mean, I don't. It, it's unreal you know, how much money uh, that these guys could have made back in the day, especially Jared and Tim, but... You know, it's uh, like I said, man, it's changed everything. And, you know, I'm excited to see what it turns into. I just hope that uh, that the administrators and the head coaches, like I said before, and the team captains, they have a, a foundation and a, and a base of, listen, we want you guys to succeed on and off the field. And we want you to succeed in your advertising and all this stuff. But remember why you're here. You know, that's probably that would be my biggest thing is to reiterate, remember why you're here. Because as a young kid, if you're handed, let's say I signed a deal with, you know, a, a truck company here in Kentucky, and they gave me a brand new 2018, 2019 Silverado on top of that with, you know, maybe $20,000 in cash throughout the year. At that time, where I was at in my head and where I was at with my ego and shit, dude, I would have been such an asshole probably, you know. Just, I'm just being real, man. I, I would have, it's hard telling, you know. And so I'm kind of glad that I didn't get that. But at the same time, I know I missed out on a big opportunity. I think that's something that is absolutely going to have to be navigated. And at the same time, it can work in the opposite way, where kids learn financial literacy at a time in life in which they wouldn't have before. And maybe they wouldn't have learned some of those things until they were in their mid-20s or, or, or something like that. I know you now having this perspective where you can give something back and you can advise and you've been through it, you've seen both sides of it. How would you, or maybe even how have you already, advise college athletes who are looking to go about this in a, in a smart, financially responsible way? Well, I actually just had my first meeting uh, with an athlete this after I got done working out this morning. I'm involved in a, um, I would call it an up-and-coming, I don't know what you would call it because we're not an agency because I'm not an agent or anything. I'm a, for what, for what my partner's telling me, I'm going to be the, name, image, and likeness coordinator. And so uh, the company that I'm with right now, their their name's Epic Films. And so I'm, I'm tied in with them through my commercials and things like that. And uh, we had met with a with an athlete um, after I got done working out. And I was just advising him on things about his social media. 
you know, of having content ready to go each and every day. Like, listen, bro, like if you're wanting to keep up your engagement, you're wanting to keep up, you know, people interacting with your content, you have to post something every single day, whether it be you on the, whether you be in what you do uh, with your sport or just be yourself, you know, and this kid was a Kentucky kid. uh, I think I can't say that. Uh, He was a Kentucky kid. And so I just reiterated, like, listen, dude, if you, if you go out there and you remember that who you are as a Kentucky kid and what got you here, interact with the fans, be a proud Kentucky kid, and represent the and represent people that would die across the state to be in the position you are, kind of like how I thought of it mentally. I said, brother, you will be loved unconditionally for the rest of your life, and you will be able to make so much money it won't even be it won't even be funny. Is if you just stay true to yourself, be that Kentucky kid you've always been. And literally just try to post every single day to let people know that, hey, you know, I'm uh, this name, image, and likeness deal. You can come hop on Cameo, watch my, uh, come watch my gaming uh, stream, this, this, and that. Go live with people, podcasts, things like that. I'm like, dude, literally the thing that the world is at your fingertips right now. Because let me tell you something, once you're done, they don't really give a damn about you as much as they do when you're playing, trust me. So go ahead and try to make as much money off that opportunity as you can, because once it's over, it's over. It's like I was mentioning him, like guys like uh, guys like John Pelfrey or guys like uh, um, like Shepard. You know, I mean, those guys weren't NBA players, but you know, they were forever loved by the state of Kentucky because they're Kentucky boys and they came here and they did something special. So that's why their names are going to be in the Raptors forever without even playing in the NBA. So I was like, think about it like that. Like you're, you're going to be loved forever if you play your cards right and you can take every single advantage of this opportunity. You bring up something that is a major question mark with what this is all going to look like because fans want to feel like college athletes are still, in a way, theirs. That, that sounds weird, but the innocence, whatever there is left in college sports in terms of feeling that connection to players and somebody that's homegrown and not just out to promote their own brand, I think there is that fear that is going to cross over into professional sports and that fans are going to feel that same sort of attachment. Is there a way in which, besides you know, some of the stuff like connecting with fans and, and being you know, that smart, personable, you know, always giving back to the community and doing stuff like that as well, is there a schedule that these guys should come up with? You see, you know what the playing demands right. are. Should this be a February through July type of thing, or how should all of this work? I honest to God do not know how they're going to do it with their schedules in season. Um, you know, because like I was telling, like I was telling that kid today, I was like, have people in your corner that are there to help you as much as they can, and have your best interest at heart. I said because think about it, when you're not in class, you're at practice. When you're not at practice, you're in the weight room getting treatment, tutors. I mean, you don't have a life during the season. It is bang, bang, bang all the way throughout the day. I would imagine that the majority of these deals that these guys sign, their requirements of that contract will probably be, probably be pushed toward the offseason, I would imagine, just because of, just because yeah. of the time schedule. It would, they would have to. And even at that time in the offseason, you're going to class, you're going to tutors, you're getting treatment. You're getting extra list sessions in. You're watching film. I mean, people don't understand that this is a full-time job plus going to school. I mean, that's really what it comes down to for me. That's what it felt like to me and most people. I mean, that's why that's why a lot of people can't handle it, and that's why they end up going home. 
I'm fascinated to see how all of this is going to shake out. And even something like Cameo, if all these guys have, I'm going to respond within 24 hours, what happens when Chris Rodriguez breaks off this ridiculous career day and he's the national player of the week and he comes to his phone and realizes, oh man, I've got a thousand requests on Cameo and I've got to get back to these within 24 hours. Like on top of all your media responsibilities, are guys going to shut down Cameo during the season? How, how is all that going to work when in theory, you'd like to be able to have those those doors open because that's the time when you're really establishing who you are and you do want to be able to benefit from that and not just push everything back a few months. It, it is going to be super just all over the place with, with yeah. the way that guys handle this. Well, who's the guy on this current Kentucky team that from the position that he's in right now, you think is, is in a good spot to be able to benefit the most from the first year of the name image likeness era? Either uh, Darian Kennard or Wondell Robinson. Yeah. Wondell maybe the most because he's a Kentucky kid. He's got the hype of transferring back home, you know, and I'm coming home type deal. But Kennard, you know, he's uh, he's a freaking beast, man. That guy is so damn good. And uh, the way that he represents himself and the big blue wall, and I kind of think like how the big blue wall has kind of become a, a part of Kentucky football staple, especially in advertising and marketing on social media. Uh, I believe you could see Darren Kennard make a, ch a big chunk of change as well. Bo Allen's the other the other guy that that, can't, that comes to mind. Yeah, like, and, local and kid. Yeah, Bo too, especially being from Lexington. Yeah, with the connections that he's had, uh, you know, growing up in the within the same within five miles of the stadium. Uh, yeah, I could see that being another kid too that could take advantage of this as well. Every Kentucky fan is probably going to compare every season moving forward to the 2018 standard that you guys set. There are, I'd say, a lot of similarities with this current team to that team. A new starting quarterback, but very promising backfield with a versatile option at receiver. Wandale, obviously different than Lynn, but still kind of in the way that they, they're able to, to make some plays in a variety, a variety of different formations and whatnot. And then on defense, good amount of experience returning in the front seven, and it still stoops. How realistic is it that Kentucky can either beat Florida, do something like that this year, or just outright, you know, get that number two spot potentially in the East? Because it seems like Kentucky fans are, are hoping for a year like that, knowing that Florida could potentially be taking a step back. I mean, it's very possible. I mean, everything just comes down to what you what you want out of it. I mean, I asked, I was I went so I took Josh Allen turkey hunting. Um, this past spring. What a great sense of this, by the way. <laughs> oh, dude, it was great. It was great. We had such a fun time down there. And uh, I was talking to him afterwards, and I didn't have my camera there, and I wish to God I had my cameraman there. I would just love to have this just for myself. I was like, man, I said, I said, looking back on it, I said, what, what do you think made us that good that year? And he just looked at me. He goes, bro, to be, be honest with you, he said, one, he said, we all loved each other to death. He said, we all would have died for each other no matter what. And two, we had a leader in every room. We could have ran practice by ourselves with no coaches. And I looked back at him. I was like, you know what? Damn right. We could have damn well ran practice out there by ourselves because that's how committed and that's how driven we were to, to say, hey, you know, we're sick and tired of, of, you know, being seven and five or this and that. We have the talent and we have the uh, we have the grit to do it, man. So let's just go out there and do it. And you had a leader in every single room. 
linebackers, D-line, tight ends, quarterbacks, running backs, all the way down. And so it all comes down to is what these guys, what their leadership style is like, how they can get guys going each and every single day, and remember the standard that's set. The standard is the standard. If you don't meet the standard, then that's a failed day. So every single time that they step out there on that field, they have to realize that they have a standard to meet and the opportunity that lies ahead. It's very well possible, you know, to beat somebody like Florida or lock in that number two spot to go into Atlanta if their minds are right every single time that they walk in that building and out there on that field, Monday through Friday, and especially on game days, they have to be locked in on their P's and Q's, be on the same page with everybody, and just go out there and play football, man. Cut it loose and play for the guy next to you. That's really how it came down for us is that, you know, we play for the guy next to us. So this team right here has every potential to be uh, better, I mean, just as good, if not better, than that 2018 team. Cash, I hope you're delivering all the pregame speeches because I'd be ready to run through a wall for you. I feel like that. Oh, man, I did before the games. I tried to try to get everybody pumped up. That's about all I could do for that and get dudes lined up. <laughs> Speaking of Florida, uh, I'll close you out here on this one before we get some rapid fire. A certain Tim Tebow, in case you haven't heard, um, currently trying to earn an NFL roster spot. That means vacancy at SEC Nation. I know we talked a little bit about this before. The the vacancy exists as long as Tebow is doing the NFL thing. Make the case for why you should be the guy to replace Tebow on SEC Nation. Why I should replace Tim Tebow on SEC Nation. Okay. Well, I'm a guy that knows football inside and out. I'm a football junkie. I literally, even though that I've not played in two years, I still – try to watch as much film as I possibly can on dudes that are in college or in the league and try to, you know, see what they see it out on the film and it's uh, on the field. And it's really weird that I came and like watch a football game anymore without watching it. Like I'm watching film. So I'm always paying attention to everybody's techniques, especially the linebackers. But uh, in order to work at SEC nation, you have to look at just more than the linebackers. Um, I have a great charisma. I have a great knack in front of the camera. I get along well with people. We can roll off each, we roll ideas off each other. Well, uh, especially if I'm around somebody as creative as the people at SEC Network with, you know, Alyssa Lang, Marty Smith, Ryan McGee, the list goes on. Uh, they got some great people there at SEC Network, and it would just be, it would be an unbelievable opportunity, and I would enjoy going to work each and every day. It wouldn't even feel like work to me. I'd just be going there and literally talking about things that I love. I'm an SEC boy at heart. You know, I'm from uh, I'm from Kentucky, so I've always. I've always rooted for every SEC team. It was kind of hard to see who I wanted to win in the College World Series, actually, uh, just because it was Vandy and Mississippi State. Mississippi State has those cowbells that I still have PTSD from, I'm pretty sure. But uh, at the end of the day, the SEC schools got it done, man. I just love seeing SEC football, SEC basketball, baseball, track, tennis, whatever it is. I'm all about the SEC, and I would have a fun time with, with the people down in the SEC network. I'm sold. I'll uh, I'll forward that pitch to whoever needs to hear it at SEC Network, but I'm absolutely sold. Uh, Cash, let's let's close with a little bit of rapid fire here. Five question, five questions, and we'll do uh, first thing that comes to mind. Unless you got like a ten minute story on some specific thing, does that work for you? That works good, man. Perfect. How have you been dealing with the Chick Fil A sauce shortage? Dude, I don't eat a lot of Chick Fil A. I don't I don't eat out. I'm, I cook, man. I'm on my diet. I'm trying to. I'm trying to stay with those rock hard abs and, you know, try to get those double D pecs, man. I think you were what, like, two, you're like 250 right now, right? No, hell no. No, I've lost so much weight. Is that college. too much? 
Oh yeah, I weigh like two, two fifteen, two twenty right now. Okay, I was trying to figure that out because when we, when we met, I was like, man, he looks like like he was in better shape now than when I saw him at media days a couple of years oh, yeah. ago. Oh yeah, everybody hands, was different when they weren't a suit. Hand, oh dude, hands down, just because of the different style of training and my diet, you know, and things now. I mean, obviously, we burn so many calories out there on the practice field each and every day, so you can kind of be more lenient, you know, of what you put in your body, but now that you wake up every morning and go to the gym and you're not out there on the field running around burning thousands and thousands of calories, you got to kind of pump the brakes on the uh, on the cheeseburgers and maybe some stuff with a lot of sugar and, and fat in it. So, um, I actually, I the last I think the last game that I played, I was at around 240. I, I played anywhere between 240 and 250. I was never under 240. And, uh, dude, just having, I mean, to be honest with you, just to have all that extra weight, come off me my joints feel a lot better my knees feel a lot better oh, yeah. um i'm more i'm more loose when i stretch and things like that and so uh the weight thing for me i kind of wish i was around 225 230 of how i was how I'm built right now when i was in college but i mean in those days the way that we trained it was to move as, as heavy as as much weight as you can as fast as you can so it's just a uh, just a whole different style of training and eating for me that was a very good answer to not having Chick Fil A sauce. I should probably get on that too, and I'll be a chiseled two twenty five. I'm sure. I'm, well. I'm sure I'll find my way back to it, bro. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Number two, beers consumed after the 2018 Florida win. So we didn't actually get to we didn't get to party that night. Uh, it was a late game, and we had actually had a delay on our flight because one of the uh something to do with the boosters bus or something like that leaving from the stadium or something like that so we didn't get, we didn't even get home until until like 3 a.m but that sunday though dude uh it, it's hard telling uh how much was consumed on that sunday because we got after it that's for sure <laughs> it was a it was a short-lived day i mean we started real early because we knew we had practice the next morning so it couldn't be like an all-night bender thing. I mean, we got up and we met over at one of the guys' house and just had the boys over. Man, there was there's no chicks, no nothing. It was just the boys, and we celebrated. It was dope. You get home at 3 a.m. The hours of sleep, probably that that's like that's not like an eight-hour sleep type of night. That's like no, we're, we're doing six hours and we're waking up Sunday and we're getting after it. Oh, uh, we got after it. I was. I remember I did my first. Uh, I'd had my first drink around. I think around eight thirty that next morning. So that's gracious, man. Yeah, it was. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, college, man. Uh, number three, best Kentucky football player of your lifetime. My lifetime, uh, Jared Lorenzen or Tim Couch. I don't think you can go wrong with either one of those guys. It's, no. it's interesting to look back. It's so different. It's and it's, and I would have to. I didn't experience it the same way you did, but look, seeing like how close those guys were in terms of era and all that stuff is just what a, what a time! Like no wonder you grew up a Kentucky football fan. Actually, I didn't grow up a Kentucky football fan. Oh no, that's right! I forgot. Okay, no, no. So tell you need to tell listeners about this because when you you told me this a few weeks ago, and I was I was blown away. So explain how your fandom it, it, for another SEC team began. So when I was uh, when I was growing up, my dad played uh, basketball and baseball at East Tennessee State University, right down there in Johnson City. 
And so in those days, they had just got rid of the, rid of their uh, football program after my dad's freshman year. And my dad's favorite player down there of all time, still talks about him to this day, is a guy named Stane Gash that played safety down there, played for the Browns. And he would just talk about, you know, how hard he would hit dudes and things like that. It was kind of one of my one of my idols growing up. But I was born into uh, to Vol Nation, actually, man. I was born into uh, into Rocky Top. I was a Tennessee fan from the time I was born until until I started getting recruited, man. To be quite honest with you, um, I was I was at Neyland Stadium probably three or four times every college football season. And uh, when we weren't there, we always had it on the TV. I remember Eric Ames being my favorite quarterback growing up. I remember Arian Foster being there. Uh, you know, so many guys that came through there. And I had, I was even the kid that had the uh, the uh, checkerboard overalls, dude. So, yeah, I grew up a, I grew up a Tennessee fan. I think, actually, I think some of all nation got a hold of that from my uh, – from some old tweets back in like 2011 when I was in seventh grade or something like that. And they, uh, they had, they had their fun with that when we played them our senior year. They should show the, the you know, like the picture of Trevor Lawrence wearing the, I think, is it an Eric Ains jersey or a Peyton Manning jersey? I, I think it's remember, a, I think it's a Manning Trevor jersey. Trevor Lawrence wearing the Tennessee jersey. Yep. Yeah. yeah there's man. probably one of that, like you, that should have been surfacing around the internet pretty much every time you guys played Kentucky. Yeah, or every I, time you guys play Tennessee, right? I just and I, I just remember like going to school and like my buddies to this day can can tell you, we would get arguments daily about Kentucky and Tennessee. I mean, just daily. And looking back at it, if I would have kept with it, I would have been a perfect member of Vol Nation on Twitter, especially. I would have been a perfect <laughs> member of that because we had some great arguments. All right, I'm... <laughs> I don't. I don't doubt that one bit. Number well, number four, and I. I think I already know the answer to this, but I gotta ask it anyways. Have you ever faked an injury on a football field? Uh, no. Oh, that's not, a yes. Not to get out of the game, but fake one to try to get a flag on somebody. Yeah, I've done that plenty of times. Okay, that's different. No, that's different. And so so and, ex- explain that. So, like, let's say. Uh, Okay, perfect example. Missouri, my junior year. So they are firing on all cylinders in that first half. I mean, they are. I think we're up, we're down fourteen three at halftime, and they had a drive going into halftime that they ended up scoring, or they ended up not scoring on because we did this. I remember being out there on the field sometimes, and either Josh or Mike or somebody just be looking at somebody and go, "Bruh, fall down, fall down, fall down, cramp, cramp, cramp," or something like that because like Missouri was just moving the ball on us at will, just, you know, play after play after play. And dudes were getting tired. We couldn't sub. We couldn't call timeout. And so, I mean, you see it in, in on almost every Saturday. Somebody goes down with a cramp while an offense is rolling, and then the whole stadium starts booing them, you know, unless they're at home. But, uh, yeah, man, there would be times where, you know, I would just – or I would tell DeAndre, I'd tell – I remember one time I told Square, I said, fall down, stay down after this play. And I'd be damned if he didn't. So you say though you you do that to be able to get a penalty. That that sounds like the context that everybody that, that everybody hates and they want out of the game. When you say you're doing it to try and get a penalty, is that like, hey, well, I mean, you, you really know, maybe I helmet mean, helmet contact? No, I mean you really can't do that for an injury. I mean it's not like soccer, you know, when you're out there flopping around like a fish trying to sell it. But uh, and plus the play, football's so bang bang out there that you really can't you know, really see what goes on unless you're up in the booth and you see it on TV. But, um, no, I, I would guess not to, to 
to get a penalty on somebody. I mean, maybe once somebody like if they shove you and you you sell it real bad. But as as far as an injury goes, no, I don't, no, I don't think so. Mainly just cramps and try to get a, a flag on somebody. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, I'll get you out of here on this one. As basic as it gets. Record prediction for Kentucky this year. What do you got? Record prediction for Kentucky. Man, I I hate predicting, man, just because you can never really tell. But like I told you, man, these guys have so much potential to be just as good, if not better, than that 2018 team with the leaders coming back on both sides of the ball with a new offense that I've seen from my own eyes that is very well uh, being able to move the ball down the field during practice, no matter who's at quarterback. So, you know, I would not be surprised, man, if, if we had eight, nine, or ten wins. Would not surprise me at all in that ballpark range. Love it. Cash, this has been great, man. Really, really appreciate the time, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, Connor. I appreciate you, my brother. Take care. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Grilling is the subject of figuring out today. I'm sure many listening to this did some of that over the weekend for 4th of July. Did a little bit of that myself. Had some grilled sesame chicken. I'll be honest, not a grill expert, at least not yet. We got our grill back in January. I'm Team Weber for now, at least. I didn't grow up doing it necessarily. That was my dad's thing. And I could do the lazy takeover the grill at a tailgate, but I don't really count that because you don't have to do the starting and check the heat and you're, you're pretty much just, is this hot dog or hamburger fully cooked? I, I can I can do all that stuff. Just different when you're the one that's doing all the work. And I thought when I first started grilling that if I asked around and read enough stuff online that I'd be good pretty much from the jump. Yet I have, you know, as you know, I like to over prepare. <laughs> Okay, what three I pages found, of notes on the grill, laminated, just ready to go. <laughs> I had a lot of bullet points ready to go, and pretty much all of them went up in smoke, um, pun fully intended there, because I learned that you got to learn your grill. It, that, that's the key thing. you got to yep. know where your hot, spots, your hot spots are on the grill, how long you can have it open without losing a ton of heat, and then, of course, every meat is different. I made the mistake of starting off with turkey burgers, which I found very difficult to do on the grill for your first time but um still haven't finished those things but i have done you know chicken steaks hot dogs salmon corn on the cob asparagus veggies are all pretty much on point not very difficult we're getting there it's just taking a little bit of time will what about you how are you on the grill you're establishing a culture connor you're like clark Lee. you're coming in there it's like boom here's what we're doing day one yeah i'm I've gotten to where I'm like, okay. I started off, like I got my first grill that was mine when I got my house. Uh, started undercooking everything. Then I started overcooking everything. And now we've got to have the meat thermometer. Yep. Got to have the meat thermometer. That's huge. That was massive. So now we finally found the middle ground. I was doing, you know, some kebabs, some steaks, some pork loins at the same time. Uh, Had like an absolute noob moment where I thought I broke my grill and sent Brittany to grab some more propane. And then realized that actually I just had to like hard reset it which I didn't even know was a thing for grills, but I got online and figured oh, it out. I've never heard of that. Yeah, so apparently like something happened where my propane was like not coming out correctly. And it was like, it, I was getting like 20% of what I needed to. And I apparently just shut everything off, unplugged it or like unconnected it, reconnected it and it worked. So. <laughs> I might have to do that. I ran out of propane the other day. 
So that might be a, a useful tip. Mm -hmm. I might have just have to restart everything because it showed on my, my, you know, my levels where it tracks the propane. And like, I, I should still have some left here. I'm, right. I'm not like a full tank here, but I should still have enough left. And it went out mid, like, and like the end of the very end, it was like my third time using it during the day. Usually not using it that much. I think it was just tired. Needed a little bit of a nap. Needed a, needed a breather, man. Wasn't ready, needed a breather. Wasn't ready for the SEC heat out there. Wasn't ready to run the Josh Heupel offense. <laughs> Wasn't on that level just yet. Emery Picker, he says, I love my Traeger. A lot of people call it cheating, but being able to start a brisket at night, fill the hopper with pellets, and sleep all night is great. It's super versatile, too. I've made queso, mac and cheese, enchilada sauce, chili, and frozen pizza on top of smoking all sorts of meat. Traeger is the CrossFit of grilling. If you know someone who's got a Traeger, chances are you've already talked to them about it. They're gonna let you know about the Traeger. And I'm not even a Traeger hater. I, I think it's really, really cool. I'm not on that level yet. I didn't wanna get that for my first grill. But I, the two friends that we visited with when we were in California, both of them had Traegers. Both of them made incredible meat on said Traeger. It's pretty freaking cool, I'll admit that. If I had one of those things, I would also be like Emery. I want to do every single thing on that. And the smoking possibilities. That smoked chicken, that was phenomenal. And it takes like, you know, four hours or something like that. But man, it was really, really good. Traegers are, they're heavy duty though. I saw the cleaning process that goes into all that stuff. I'm just not quite ready for that type of commitment, much like CrossFit. I'm not ready to pay $100 a month for this specific program and to be part of this like, cult-like world. I'm not saying Traeger, the Traeger culture is cult culture, but in the grilling world, man, people love talking about their Traegers. Emery is on his way to your house right now for calling him a CrossFitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be like the been, A1 insult to him. Emery keeps posting the uh, games that he's been watching during cardio, and they're great. Love he's that. Cardio game really, of the week. Yep. Oh, cardio game of the week. Keep that up, Emery. Wes Medeiros says, charcoal over everything. When I first tried to grill, I didn't have the vent open. So when I opened the grill, I almost lost my eyebrows. My mom swears by charcoal. I know a lot of people do. If that's your thing, that's totally fine. I wanted to go gas grill to start just because I don't want to be messing around with charcoal every time and having to buy the new bag and pour it up. Because I, I still think a gas grill makes really, really good food and the flavor compared to pan searing something is still significantly better on the grill than it is pan sear. If you, do you know a lot of people who, who say charcoal over everything, if you're doing gas, you're basically doing it wrong? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, shout out to American icon Hank Hill for really bringing the propane industry back. Mm. Good to see that, you know. I see. I feel like they're seeing as equals now, you know. Like you said, people have their preferences, but I was in that same boat where it's like I do think charcoal is a little bit better, but is it worth the hassle for me as someone who didn't know my propane wasn't hooked? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Drew Page says, "When I was younger, my dad one time had a small portable grill that you would set on the ground to grill. He didn't want to put it on the ground this time, so he put it on the side table of our big grill and put roofing shingles beneath them. This isn't going to end well. About 10 minutes later, I went outside and the grill had burnt through the table and the shingles and was hanging on by the burned and rubbery parts of the side table and shingles it had burned through. Don't grill that close to your house. 
this is this is very when it comes to fire be as be overly cautious over prepare for it everybody everybody that operates a grill probably knows that at this point but there's a certain intimidation factor to the grill because of that and i think it unless you are that person like it, it's one it's one thing to stand next to a grill and be the the grill hype man which i've been many a time say pitman a grilling exactly you need that person but when it's your turn to take over the grill and you realize that you are operating sometimes you know over an open flame or you know whatever it is and fire's no joke fire's no joke oh, dude. i haven't had a grill accident yet though the best the best tip is like i got some of that liquid like fire extinguisher spray that just target put stuff out it's the most relaxing thing in the world because every time i have a flare up of like some legit grease that catches on fire i'm just like Psst. Done. I just don't have to like stare at it and be like, is this going to get big? What do I do? It's like, nope, done. You don't have to restart anything. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, wow. it's, it's super targeted. It has one of those long like um, tubes in it and you can just kill a little burst that won't go out. Ooh, that's good. I need to invest in that. We'll talk off air about that. Mm -hmm. Matthew Sadro, also big charcoal grill guy. He says, I just got my first charcoal grill last year. So I'm all for hearing the advice as opposed to giving it. But my favorite meats to grill are andouille sausage yes, and sir. those marinated Hormel pork tenderloins. My family likes to take the grilled andouille and grilled chicken leftovers to make our jambalaya the next day. That is a great use of leftovers. I haven't experimented with doing you know, the andouille sausage or something like that. I almost pulled the trigger on that this past week. Do you think that's better smoked than grilled though? Um, I think if you have the option, yes, but I don't think there's, I mean, I think it's good either way. I've been thinking about it also, I need to start experiment, experimenting with brats as mm -hmm. well. Because that, that's, that's a, a, a classic food that you, you, can't, you can't just pan sear that and hope for the best results. That, a brat off the grill is a different sort of experience. Come a on, mustard man. On there. You're from Chicago and you can't grill brats on the grill there, bud? That was a much better Midwest imitation than that Canada crap you pulled last we're week. We're learning. We're learning. One week at a time. We're figuring it out. That's what we're doing here. Nick Ruark says, I use a Smokin' Brothers pellet grill. I use it for everything. Best stuff I make with it would be ribs and pulled pork. Best advice for smoking meats is to keep an eye on temp and abide by the time it takes to cook the dish you are preparing. Simple, but effective. The time that it takes to do something like that is no joke in that if you're like, I almost, I, I've seen people that will do 12 hours at a time. And if you're like Emery or somebody, you like being able to just go to sleep and have it set. I don't think I'd be able to sleep while I had my grill on. I don't think I'd be able to do that. That's, that's a different sort of comfort for me. I, I like being able to kind of monitor and not necessarily always you know, lift it up and check on it every half hour or something like that. Cause you're losing heat when you do it. But I would like to be able to check on something maybe once an hour or so, because I would just always have that fear in the back of my mind of what if I just wasted this six pound brisket and it wasn't cooked or I didn't have my burners on the way that I should have, or they turned off because girls can turn off or do something like that. Will, do you have that, that relaxation when it comes to long-term cooking on the grill or is that 
reserved for the crock pot or the slow cooker for you? Yeah, I think a big part of figuring it out is basically coming to terms with the amount of luck that you've been given in this world. And I'm going to say mm. I used a smooth 30% of that specifically on 2019 LSU. So really on the bottom of the barrel for my lifetime luck. So when it comes to something like that, it's like, hmm, you know, I kind of see, I, I, I'm the guy who would miss one step and look up and be like, oh, house is on Same. fire. <laughs> yep, yep. Ribs, ribs done right, man. Mm -hmm. Few things, few things as good as ribs done over the smoker. If, if you can do them on the grill, more power to you. That 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 to me seems really really tricky. But the the long term love put in some ribs, man. Now I'm really hungry just thinking about that. John Houston Whitworth says, when grilling steaks, sit them out to bring them to room temp and pat them dry before putting on the grill. I have heard that. That is great advice though. Did that with some filet mignons that we got. When did we do that? We did that like probably like three or four months ago and the results were tremendous. That That's one of those things that like the Traeger, it can help you. It can kind of give you those guardrails if you're not particularly good at or you're not necessarily well versed in cooking something because cooking a filet mignon is not particularly hard. It's not the, the thickest cut or anything like that and the meat is just so good so you really can't mess it up too badly. Mm -hmm. But the the steak prep is very, very important. That's that's good advice. Have you dabbled with steaks a lot on your grill? Yeah, big steak guy. Every time now. Can't do pan sear mm -hmm. with steak, if weather permitting. As long as it's not monsooning like it has been in Florida because hurricane season is upon us. Steak on the grill, just tough to beat, really tough to beat. My nephew, the one that's going to IMG, his dad's a chef, and he told me last time I grilled with him, he was like, yo, what we do is we undercook steak slightly and then take them inside and pan sear them. And I was like, oh. Mm. I've heard that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that. That's a really good idea. A lot of different ways to skin a cat or cook a steak, as they say. But that's that's a really good one. I might have to try that because when you get that sear on there, mm -hmm. it does... It does just kind of create that that extra la that extra layer of flavor. Last one here. This is from Krista Barish. I like this a lot. Best piece of advice for anyone in the South is make sure the freezer is minimal when hurricane season arrives. Mm -hmm. Speaking of hurricane season, my senior year of college, Gustav hit Baton Rouge head on and the whole city was without power. My parents lost power for three days and had to cook everything. I think they cooked for my friends and me for weeks after that storm. That is something you'll see down here a lot and I noticed that when we experienced, I think it was when we experienced Irma back in 2017, that would have been, that's been the, the toughest hurricane that we've had. Because usually in central Florida, we don't really get hit by those as much. But immediately afterwards, all of our neighbors are outside and they're, they're cooking all their meats that they've had and, and they're, they're doing whatever they can. And that sounds like such a better option than sheepishly going into the pantry and finding that that can of tuna, that thing of, you know, that thing of soup that you've just been like, oh, I, I pray the day wouldn't come that I'd have to eat this, but here's where <laughs> we're at. So I, it's, Krista sounds like it's actually not the worst thing in the world to have some some spare meats in your freezer because then at least you're, you're ready to go as long as you got that backup propane tank. I, so I think having some in there is a good idea, but yeah, you probably don't want to have too much to where you're cooking for three weeks and risk losing all of it. Will, have you been in situations like that? Man, so our power grid in Atlanta is apparently much closer to Texas than I thought because we lost power, dude, for what, four days, like randomly. Like about three or four months ago, it was just like, oh yeah, no power for you, dude. There was like a 
you know, mid-grade storm just knocked out our whole grid. And yeah, we have the, uh, we got a new fridge because we got the house, in, we got the fridge, the old fridge included with the house. And it was kind of like a bad fridge, but we just wanted it. So we put it outside in the garage and we just store meats in there. And for like three days, me and Brittany were sitting there doing the math of like, okay, if we don't touch this and leave it closed, how much stuff can go bad? So yeah, I feel that definitely. There, it's a terrible feeling of knowing you have like hundreds of dollars of meat in a freezer and then watching it just kind of tick away. <laughs> That is, that is something that I think I would be definitely more on the side of throw it away very soon. And it would just all have to get on there as soon as possible because I, I do not like even having that thought in the back of my mind of, wait a minute, was the temperature of the freezer, is, it, was it at the right, right place for this specific amount of time? I don't want to have that thought mm -hmm. at all. When I'm eating food, when I'm digesting food, anything like that. Don't want to have to deal with that at all. So I'd say, yeah, keep a minimal amount of meat in your freezer, and that way you're ready to go. And at least you can have a good meal, you know, if and when you know your power goes out or, or something like that. Thank you to everybody who submitted responses in the Facebook group. If you have not joined the Saturday Down South podcast group on Facebook, you should definitely do so. Plan for next week. Best case scenarios going to continue. We're going to be doing the SEC West. And I'm sure we're going to feel like we're having a lot more optimistic viewpoints than we did probably for the East, wherein only maybe two teams can win the division. Leave us a five-star review, like, subscribe, go subscribe to our newsletter, go subscribe to College Football Uncensored, wherever you get your podcast group, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sorry, I was reading a different part of here. Um, yeah, and if you have not already, you should be going to SaturdayDownSouth.com every single day. Put it in your bookmarks because we have a lot of great content coming soon. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. Oh, and pay Maria Taylor right now, ESPN.